Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Feminism, It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything, the feminist podcast where we give a feminist critique to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. Who knows? Who we knows? certainly don't. We, we do. We, like, I think we normally have a pretty good inkling. Reasonably. My name is Millicent Sarr. I'm Ella Stolen. And we're, we're your hosts for Feminism Ruins Everything. We're hosting you. Welcome. Come in. <laughs> take, a, a, take a seat. Take your shoes off, please. <laughs> And today we are discussing an incredible musical. I shouldn't, I shouldn't like go too gushy too early. I feel like I should at least try to be somewhat objective to begin with. But like, God knows, I love this damn show. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty. We, I mean, I, I've seen it. I think four times. I've been fortunate enough to see it that, mm. like a bunch of times. I, I think I would probably be similar. Yeah, because the show that we are talking about today is. Wicked. Or, as Ellis and I like to say, wicked. wicked. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were talking earlier about <laughs> that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like is sitting in a cinema and pointing really enthusiastically at the <laughs> at the screen in the cinema and I've no idea what the picture it's, is taken from. It's, um, it's from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ah, um, but basically, I saw one once that that photo or that still was captioned when they say the name of the movie in the movie, <laughs> and that is how Ellis and I feel at the end of As Long As You're Mine when Elphaba goes, for the first time, I feel wicked, and it's like, oh my god, she said the she name said of the, the thing. Death. Even though they've said that word all throughout, yeah. the whole like, like it, the entirety of the opening number is yeah. wicked, so Duh. much of it. <laughs> but it's the whisper. It's Sorry, the whisper. It's right. It's out of my system now. <laughs> it's the whisper. The one that sounds a little like this. We're doing this new thing where... Have, have you talked about this at any point, Ellis? Or are we just um, doing it and hoping that people understand? I So I recorded a little thing at the beginning of our Rent episode just kind of explaining that we're... Uh, we're censoring some of the bad words that <laughs> that we or our guests might say, and um, trying to keep it like PG. Again, trying to keep it accessible. Trying to keep um, it accessible, exactly. And and I, I've decided because it makes me laugh so much <laughs> that uh, if I have to censor a word, I'm going to try to use the title of the thing that we are talking about. So I did this in the rent episode, and you might have noticed that the word rent was kind of screamed at you in the middle <laughs> of the sentences. Any time that we. Dropped a word that was worse than shit. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so uh, that that might happen today if we accidentally swear. I mean, or uh, we might swear on purpose so that you get to... who the fuck knows. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're having fun today because we really love Wicked. Um, like like I said, we've seen it multiple times. Mim's been in a production of it. I have. So Wicked is a really like. Um, 
formulative musical, I think, for both of us. I think Wicked is a gateway musical. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly was for me. Like, I actually reckon Wicked might have been the first professional musical that I saw. Wow. Maybe, maybe not like as a child. Like I think as a little kid, I probably went to see like productions of you know Sound of Music and stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I freaking love Sound of Music. Um, but I specifically remember seeing it when I was probably twelve or thirteen mm-hmm. in an Australian tour of it. It might have even been the first Australian tour. Wow. Um, and I remember seeing it in Melbourne and being like, oh, damn, what is this new and incredible genre? Mm-hmm. Gateway musical. And I think a lot, I think Wicked kind of opened that door for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's just been kind of like one of those juggernaut musicals, like according to uh, the really reliable Wikipedia. Absolutely. We check um, our sources here. Feminism <laughs> ruins everything. It's... Uh, Wicked is one of three Broadway shows to make a billion dollars on Broadway, and that's up there with The Phantom of the Opera and The Lion King. So oh, that's, that's the kind of standard that uh, of bigness in terms of musicals that Wicked shares. And it's interesting that you mentioned Phantom, because I was thinking about the pretty bold claim that we made in our Phantom episode that Phantom of the Opera is one of the few musicals that probably has mainstream recognition solely as a musical and i would argue that wicked's probably up there as well yeah that if people had to rattle off like a random person off the street not like a music theater tragic like you (laughs) and i um, had to rattle off the names of musicals that they knew that weren't you know didn't have a a movie Uh, mm. source for example wicked would probably be up there yeah as well you'd probably get people saying phantom of the opera wicked and cats like those are the the yeah. Prolific. And Wicked has been around significantly less time yeah. than Phantom and Cats. Like, 2004, was that when the Two, musical? 2003, 2004 yeah. is when, when it opened, which is like, I mean, The Lion King opened in the 90s and Phantom was the 80s. Mm. And already it's kind of matched the amount of, uh, like, box office yeah. Um, esteem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why is that, Ellis? Why do you reckon? Uh... Well, I think I think it has the a good basis. Like, not many people know the book that mm. it was based on, written by Gregory Maguire, but a lot of people know the Judy Garland film, The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, very true. Like, like that's one of the. I mean, it's one of the most famous films ever made. So you kind of have that recognition of, oh yeah, I know that story. Yeah. I know these characters, and so that could draw people to it. But then it also like has an amazing score. Oh, has a wonderful! The book. score is incredible. Oh, just. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I don't think that any music theater tragic can hear that the opening chords of Defying Gravity and not like feel something. Mm. Yeah, I also speaking of the Wizard of Oz angle, I remember seeing it for the first time, and spoiler alert, um, that my mind was blown when I realized that Bok became the Tin Man and the Lion from the mm. classroom became. The Cowardly Lion. I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> I blew my mind. <laughs> it's a really clever recontextualizing of a well-known story yeah. and, and kind of taking elements that were so black and white in the film and giving them moral complexity mm. and all these different uh, shades and elements and, and, and twists that are still kind of creative and original to their own 
story, which ultimately is a story of friendship between two women. Like if the story is about female friendship, and I think it's also about the power of the press to turn mm-hmm. the public against someone. Yes. Or just the power of the press. A lot of propaganda. A lot of propaganda. It's really cool. A lot of a, you know, malevolent <laughs> dictatorship. Uh, what's the story of Wicked for people who don't know? Just quickly, what, what's it about? All right. So, the, the Spark Notes version. We see, uh, actually, opening scene, we see that the Wicked Witch is dead. Uh, Glinda the Good Witch is the, you know, voice of... Uh, the government and brings this great news to everyone in Oz and everyone's like woo she's dead good news she's dead the witch of the west is dead etc we're stoked about that and then someone's like Glinda is it true you were her friend and everyone's like big reveal in a a not contrived not at all asking question like he was a plant Glinda (laughs) planted him because she wanted an excuse to tell the story I think. Um, <laughs> but then we are transported back to Glinda in her college days. Uh, we see Shiz University. We see Elphaba arrive. She is the green one. And uh, she instantly is an outcast because she's green. Uh, a bit racist. And she arrives at Shiz with her sister, Nessa Rose, um, who is in a wheelchair. And basically, uh, it's obvious that Elphaba is there to look after Nessa Rose and her father, is like, look after Nessa Rose. Ugh, Elf, you're the worst. And I think uh, the only reason Elfie gets into Shiz University is... Is to look is after to look her after sister. Her, yeah. Even though she's a bloody intellect. Mm-hmm. It's unjust. Prime academic. Yeah, but then um, Elphaba gets really angry. She kind of like... Um, makes her sister's chair move without touching it and then Madame Morrible, who is the headmistress, goes, Oh, you have a power and Elphaba's like, Oh, this thing where I can move things without touching them? I, I, this is a shameful secret of mine. You mean that that's a good thing? And then Madame Morrible was like, Oh, Miss Elphaba, many years I have waited <laughs> and then Elphaba sings this song about how she's going to use her powers for good and she's going to meet the wizard and she's going to do good things. Uh, and then... That, that's the thing. The, the wizard is kind of always referred to as this grand, wonderful power who makes everything better. And if you yeah. can get in with the wizard, you're going to do so much good to the world and you're going to be so beloved because he is beloved. Damn straight. Big deal, that wizard. He's a big deal. Uh, then there's this whole issue with rooms and so Glinda, uh, the good... Uh, she's not called that yet, but oh, she's actually called Galinda at this point. And Elphaba have to room together. They're not happy about it. They sing loathing. Um, <laughs> Fierro arrives. He's this hotshot who doesn't give a shit about anything, and, and he's like, played by Norbert Leah Butts. Oh, uh, uh, don't get me started on how much I love Norby. That could be a whole episode. <laughs> um, but basically, is like, oh, school's crap. Let's go party. And then he's like this like cool rich boy. So Glinda's like, oh well, you're cool and popular, and I'm cool and popular. So obviously we should be together. And then they go dancing at the Ozdas ballroom, uh, and then they shack up. And then uh, uh, basically, 
I won't go into the details, but Glinda has like tried to embarrass Elphaba. It hasn't worked, uh, but then makes amends, and then they become friends. And then Glinda's like popular and tries to make Elphaba popular. <laughs> and Ellis, this is not the Spark Notice version. This is a really long-winded version. But basically, just know that Elphaba realizes that some things are going amiss in Oz. Like the animals are becoming animals they they're losing their power to speak there are anthropomorphic animals in oz of course who, like like uh elphaba's favorite teacher is a goat uh who is discriminated against because he is a goat because he is a goat and and it's thought that animals should be seen and not heard mm-hmm. kind of thing and uh we're realizing that this is a trend and like the animals are losing their powers and so Elphaba's like i'm gonna tell the wizard about this but then she realizes that the wizard is evil and he's actually the one who's behind it all uh which is very upsetting and so then she's like i'm gonna revolt against the state and she flies off and sings defying gravity and then but but glinda picks the side of the wizard because she's so concerned about her image and her her status and she's like I, i'm really sorry but i can't go with you Elphaba. Mm, yeah i can't become an outcast with you and that that friendship dissolves yeah and then they, they fight over fiero because there's some tension there where he actually likes her because she likes Elphaba because she's you know a morally upstanding person who like helps this lion who was gonna just become a lion that didn't get to speak mm. Uh, and then we see all of these tensions between Glinda and Elphaba over like the fact that they're sort of on different sides of history and also there's the Fiero aspect and then Fiero and Elphaba shack up. I've used as the term... As Do, do. Wicked. Uh, and then essentially uh, in order to be together... Fiero and Elphaba have to fake Elphaba's death, so pretend that she can melt. Mm-hmm. So when Dorothy, who is a very minor character, which is funny because she's yeah. the lead character in Wizard of Oz, uh, throws water on her, she's like, oh, I'm melting, but actually she's not dead. Uh, she just... Now everyone thinks she's dead, so she can go live in peace and in hiding with Fiero, who's now the Scarecrow! Fun. Twist! But at the same time, uh, Glinda and Elphaba do make amends, and they kind of realise that like Glinda is, uh, realizes that she was in on the wrong side of history, essentially, and following Elphaba's supposed demise, Glinda goes and essentially kicks out the wizard, and mm. takes essentially takes over and takes charge. And she's like, "I'm going to right the wrongs that you've been yeah. subjecting Oz to all this time. Get out of here, Bert Newton." That kind of thing. <laughs> I would have gone with Joel Grey, but <laughs> sure. Uh, the, the most famous wizard, Bert, Bert Newton. Newton. Uh, also, the wizard is Elphaba's father in just another twist. Yeah. Um, a lot of twists. A lot of twists. Uh, Elphaba and Glinda sing like maybe the most beautiful song about female friendship mm-hmm. that has ever been written for musical theatre, being yep. for good. Such a tune. Um yeah, I think I, 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 it probably wasn't necessary to explain the plot of maybe one of the most famous musicals to exist in the world today, Alice, but... I'm glad I asked you to do it, because then I got to hear you do it. So <laughs> I had a lot of fun, and I hope our listeners did too. Um, might put a timestamp to be like, if you'd like to hear us, if you'd like to skip the recap <laughs> of Wicked. Um, let's talk about it from a feminist perspective. Yep. I think that the biggest reason that to me 
Wicked holds up from a feminist perspective is that it's got two female lead roles, both of whom are very multidimensional, both of whom have very clear desires and needs and personality traits and different uh, different hurdles that they have to overcome. Different flaws. Yeah. And they are so... Like, how, how rare is it that you have two female leads that are so diverse? Mm. Like, they, they, they kind of... They start the show as deliberate polar opposites. Mm. You have the outcast and the... The, the popular the one. The popular one. And getting to see them both evolve beyond their initial stereotypes and also find their friendship amongst those differences and both are so instrumental in the other's growth Mm. oh so true so wonderful to see and it reminds me i have um i have this jumper that i really love um that says a strong female lead on it Mm. and um Two of my friends also have the same jumper. We have them in different colours. Shout out to uh, Georgia and Gemma um, for having matching strong female female lead jumpers. <laughs> um, and I think I like posted a photo once of me and Gemma in our matching jumpers and someone's like, but you can't have two female leads. And I think what they meant was like, oh, like there's a lead role and everyone else is like a subsidiary lead. But I was like, have you heard of a little musical called Wicked? <laughs> And also, I'm pretty sure that in the original production, and probably in subsequent productions, I think Linda and Elphaba are, like, share top billing. Oh, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that both Idina Menzel and Christian Chenoweth were both nominated for Best Female Lead yeah. in a musical. And so they should have been. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that's incredible to me. Yeah. And I, I feel like, to some degree, it might have been, like, a bit of a publicity ploy to be like we've got these two incredible actresses playing these two incredible roles like they can both be nominated for best female lead which they mm-hmm. were um i i still think that Elphaba probably has the lion's share of the work vocally well i i think from getting into the the vocal side of things both characters sing very different things mm. like like Elphaba has all the big kind of power ballady stuff like Defying Gravity and No Good Deed. And then Glinda has um, No One Mourns the Wicked, which is like huge top soprano like stuff. legit stuff. Yeah. And, and, and then Glinda also has to do things like Popular, which mm. you called the best musical pop song ever written. <laughs> Big call. Big call by <laughs> me. I probably will go back on that. But, oh, but, damn, I love it. Um. So I think it's it's so cool that not only are these characters' personalities so diverse, but the styles that they have to sing in, perform in, are are so vastly different. Yeah, and and, and match the and match the characters as well. Yeah. Um, like it's so it's so well written to be like they both get to be just as as interesting and um, it's it's as much a vehicle role for one as it is the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but in such different ways. It's so common on Broadway to see musicals with two male leads, like the producers. Mm. Both both the male leads in that were nominated in the same category. Book mm. of Mormon, yeah. the leads in that nominated the same character uh, category. 
And it's so... Hamilton. Hamilton. And it's so rare to see two women mm. in in the same... Uh, like, on, I mean, <laughs> it, it's rare for, for Broadway shows to have two female characters. Um, <laughs> and oh, this so, is going so, so well, Ellis. <laughs> I mean that's true. That that yeah, raises to a to a to a bigger issue of yeah. of a male dominated creative space. Yes, um, absolutely. And so to have a show that is so that celebrates their their female leads so much, yeah, is wonderful. Yeah, and when you look at it, I think there are about eight lead roles in the show, being like Glinda, Elphaba, the Wizard, Nessa Rose, Bok, Fierro. Madame Morrible and Dr. Dillamant. Mm-hmm. I would say they're probably the eight leads and it's a, it's an even split. It's a 50-50, four women, four men, but Elphaba and Glinda are the undisputed leads and have like the lion's share of the work yeah. in the whole show. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's rare. It is. And it's so so like props to you, Wicked. Well done for, for that. I think potentially the only other example I can think of is maybe Fun Home. I yeah. have an inkling that um, maybe the medium and the adult <laughs> Allison are have, like share billing. Um, that being said, it's the same character, it's the same character, <laughs> but played like at different, just at different ages. parts of her life. <laughs> so not quite the same thing. But the the other the other one that came to mind was Chicago. But even oh, then, yeah. I feel that. Velma yeah. is more of a supporting player to to Roxy. Oh, really? I would have thought it was the other way around. Really? Yeah. I, well, I mean, Catherine Zeta-Jones won Best Supporting Actress Did for the Oscar. She? Yeah. That's so interesting. So there was there was a definite split there, but I, I think the Academy's weird wow. in that regard. Um, but I think it just comes down to billing. Yeah. I, I don't think it comes down to um, whichever like Academy or or awards board is sitting there going oh which role do we think is bigger i think it's who was higher on the poster yeah 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 that's fair i think another really cool thing about wicked from a feminist perspective is that it's a real celebration of female friendship and Mm -hmm. we see for something that's set in a very fantasy world (laughs) we see quite a realistic representation of female friendship, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, tr- true, it kind of is like maybe a little bit of a trope that, you know, they, they start out as, as enemies and then they <laughs> overcome that and become friends. And then the fact that there's like um, conflict over them, like in the same boy, like that's, it, it de- definitely does like play into some, some stereotypes. But I do think that you, te- you look at something like for good, you look at something like, one short day and Mm. you see a really beautiful genuine friendship and connection um between two women that Mm. is that's celebrated and i love that i i think i think it kind of best comes to a head in defying gravity at the moment where Mm. glinda says i can't go with you Elphaba kind of understands and is like I just want what's best for you. You're doing what you think is best. And while I don't necessarily agree with it, I love you and support you. Mm. And they don't immediately go to hating each other or anything. It's a, it's a very like nuanced take. There's the very genuine, I hope you're happy. 
yeah. that whole sequence. And that a little bit a little bit sidetracked, but that's one of my absolute favorite music theater tropes when you take something um, you take the same words and then you flip the words on their head and they mean something different. Like mm. at the start of Defying Gravity, they're like, I hope you're happy. And it's like used in a very snarky mm. way, being like, oh my God, I can't believe you got us to this point. And then at, by the end of the song, it's like, look, we're choosing different parts, but I genuinely hope that it brings you bliss and I really hope you get it and you, and don't, you don't live, live to, to regret, regret it. it. Um, yeah, I think that that is another really beautiful, genuine Mm-hmm. moment of wanting the best for another woman it all kind of comes to a head as well at the end of the show when Elphaba fakes her death and kind of says to Glinda like don't try to clear my name um, be the hero mm. in this because mm-hmm. Elphaba knows that that's kind of what's best for Glinda and Glinda is like I do not want to do this but I'm going to respect your final wishes yeah. of like the most important person in the world to me yeah. and and then she she goes on and she she takes Elphaba's spirit of wanting to better Oz yeah, regardless yeah. of how people perceive her and she like she like kicks the wizard out of his Bye. throne and she like fires Madame Morrible and she's just like Wicked. you guys I like we are running the show properly now and mm. it's a, it's such a cool development based on this friendship and I think that I I love how knowing what has happened up to that point then puts all of the opening number into a new light mm. where um, it's Glinda going, oh, like, you know, her life couldn't have been easy is her <laughs> towing that line between, I know that you don't want me to claim your name, but also at the same time, I just want to have the slightest sympathetic twist put on your narrative because mm-hmm. I I just need that to... Um, I need that so that the memory of the person that I love isn't tainted in the eyes of everyone. Yeah. Mm. So, uh... I think we, we were saying this before we started recording. While I reckon Elphaba is um, probably a bigger sing. Yeah. Um, and like, oh, she gets... She, she got some good songs. So, like, her first song is The Wizard and I. Yeah. And that's, like, the most tame thing she sings. Yeah, it is. Ridiculous. Uh, but... Yeah, I think Elphaba probably gets a bigger sing, but I actually think that the character arc and the um, the portrayal as an actress of Glinda is a is a bigger thing to carry. Um, I think also because you know Elphaba's very upfront about how she feels all the time. Like there's never any pretense mm-hmm. with her. Whereas for an actress portraying Glinda, you have to take into consideration um, the fact that she's got a front up in some situations and not others and yeah, there's there are a lot of layers to Glinda, mm. whereas I think, you know, Elphaba is sort of like cards on the table, here I am all the time. And like Glinda's growth throughout the whole thing is kind of like fighting against what is expected of her uh, and what she really wants. Because she, she starts off, she wants to be the most popular girl in school, she wants to have the, the most attractive boy on her on her arm, mm. and she wants to get a great high position job where she probably doesn't have to do any work but has all the the fame and the respect mm. and and she like she, she gets in with the wizard for all the wrong reasons and her growth is kind of realizing that all of this facade mm. isn't making her any happier it isn't making the world a better place and it's actually harming more people than it's helping and she starts off as a real kind of 
propagandist Glinda the Good mm. and develops into a person who genuinely wants to help people and does make Oz a better place. Yeah. I think the sort of the first half of that where she's kind of still being like a public figure and trying to kind of cover up the shady stuff that's happening in her government um, is kind of epitomized in the line um, in the, the cat fight scene between Elphaba and Glinda where she's like, oh, it's my job to... And Elphaba's like, lie? She's like, be encouraging! <laughs> um <laughs> I really love I really love the script of this musical. I think the it's I think so the book funny. is so well written. It's uh, who who wrote the book again? Winnie Holzman. Winnie Holzman. Mm. She um she wrote this wonderfully funny book filled it's like filled with like references to Wizard of Oz, Wizard and Oz Wizard the Wizard of Oz. Yes. <laughs> filled with so many references um, to that, so people who know that story can laugh, and it's just like genuinely hilarious and heartbreaking at the same time like mm. the, the the fight scene that you were just talking about it's like the the first time that glinda and Elphaba have kind of been face to face since their big split um and and like lots of and there's like so much coming out in that scene so many complex feelings that they have toward each other and they're kind of like lashing out at the last person they want to lash out at mm. because they're both grieving and 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 like everything's going wrong yeah and it's it's such a such a heartbreaking yet hilarious sequence it's so well written yeah Yeah. and i think for me in addition to the fact that there are two really strong female characters well i mean there are more but like they're the strong female lead characters um and the fact that this female friendship side of things is explored the one of the best um, feminist characteristics of this show is the fact that these female characters are so well written. Mm-hmm. And I think that is probably in part a testament to um, Winnie Holzman as a writer, but also the fact that she's a female writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I adore the work of Stephen Schwartz, and I think that he, like, um, he should get so much credit for the fact that this score is absolutely phenomenal ah it's so good um and i think that you know people often like credit him as like the main creative force behind it um and i think we forget that you know the the book writer plays a really important role and i'm not sure that you'd have such nuanced um deeply developed female characters were not for having um, a female writer mm. um, as in the in the creative mix. Yeah. That is not to say that men can't write well-developed female characters and please, <laughs> as male writers out there. Uh... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Absolutely make it your task to um, write well-developed female characters. The trend, however, appears to be that um, just being able to bring your experience as a woman in the world to the writing of your characters probably makes that representation seem a little bit truer. Yeah. And I think in, in a story where female friendship and female relationships are the... The, the pinnacle of mm-hmm. the piece. Yeah. I think it was it was really important to have a female voice lent to that. Yes, absolutely. And such a clever one, too. Oh, so good. So, such a good... Like, I always forget how funny the script of mm-hmm. Wicked mm-hmm. is because the, the, the score it's, it, is really kind of bombast and some of the themes are really serious and, and, and everything. And then you get, you get to the script and it's like side-splittingly great. <laughs> Particularly if you have like, like expert comedic timing mm. on your performers. Like, mm-hmm. Glinda is possibly one of my favorite characters in musical theater ever, mm-hmm. just because of how funny and witty and quick she can be. It's just ah, oh, it's so, so good. Mm. I also love the fact that she could so easily have been reduced to a dumb blonde stereotype. Mm-hmm. And like, don't get me wrong, there are elements of that, but. That's absolutely not her defining feature, and she's so much more than that. And there's, you know, just by virtue of the, the comedy that's written for her, there's an underlying level of intelligence that mm. um, she's um, credited with. I think Wicked's really good at utilizing these stereotypes in order to then subvert them mm. and to showcase depth for your characters that you wouldn't get. Like, like Linda kind of starts as this stereotypical blonde cheerleader only in it for the the prestige kind of thing Mm. and then uses that to her advantage or the script uses that to your advantage to to pull the rug out from under you and to subvert your expectations Mm. and it happens all the way through i think that really happens with fiero as well yeah i think he's a big example of that that he kind of starts out as this sort of like stereotypical cool guy i don't care about School. I just care about having a good time. Mm-hmm. The system, and then he, the further the plot develops, the more you see these these deeper layers of him um, come to light, and mm. um, the fact that you know the the cool guy facade was such a ruse, and he actually does have morals, and and the fact that he falls in love with Elphaba not because of her status. I mean, she has no status by the time they get together. Mm-hmm. It's because of her, who she is as a person and yeah. her heart and her, her mind and her ethics. And he, he, again, he's kind of like society kind of pushes him into um, a role. Like he's a prince. So he has to act like this and you have to marry somebody with status mm. like Glinda. And he's like, no, I, that's actually not what I want. What mm-hmm. I want is to, to follow my heart and, and, be with somebody who follows theirs. Yeah. So there's this scene between uh, Elphaba and Fiero, and 
Elphaba says, I wish I could be beautiful for you. Don't tell me that I am. You don't need to lie to me. And Fiera says, it's not lying. It's looking at things another way. Which is lovely. And I think I, I really love that it's very clear that their love is so much deeper than this surface level I think you're good looking mm-hmm. whatever it's um, you know they, they love one another for who they are and for the fact that their you know their morals align and yeah. um, I think that that's a really wholesome part of the story I think it's 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 so great and yes there is a love triangle that kind of springs up between Glinda Elphaba and Fiero but it doesn't dominate mm. uh, the the storyline. It doesn't. It isn't like the the climax of any character's development. Uh, and and even sort of incidental. Yeah, and and even when they have when Glinda and Elphaba have their physical <laughs> cat fight, um, the fact that Fierro's picked Elphaba over Glinda is only a part of it. Like you're also dealing with the fact that. Elphaba's sister has just died and Glinda is essentially covering it up mm. and and trying to to keep the wizard's peace and going against anything that Elphaba stands for and and the fact that their um Glinda and Fiera's relationship just kind of ended because Elphaba came in is only a part of that and it just kind of speaks to how multifaceted all the characters wants and needs mm. are it's not just the goal isn't, I want to get the boy and fall in love. It's yeah. so much more than that. Like, we know that because Elphaba's I Want song is not, I want to marry Fiero <laughs> once I prove my worth. It's no, she's, she wants to meet the wizard. And the fact that she falls in love along the way is incidental. And also, I mean, like, her whole goal changes because she realizes the wizard is corrupt as all hell. So um, <laughs> that's a shame. So she gets a new I Want song in Defying Gravity, which is probably one of the best musical theater songs ever written. Yeah. Just, yeah. wow. Yep. Well, well done, Schwartz. I, I, I have heard that song so many times. I lived with Zach Vasiliou for a year. Um, hi, Zachy, if you're listening, love you. Um, so my best friend, Zach, uh, absolute wicked tragic. Any, any version of Defying Gravity that's ever been recorded or bootlegged, he has seen it and could give you um, very uh, minute details about each version. Um, I have heard that song so many times and I still get chills like I cannot get to so if you care to find me look to the western sky I cannot get to that bit and not be like Ugh. yeah it's so great and, and like <laughs> and like seeing the staging and stuff um she flies she flies she and it, it flies it's magical it's literal magic on stage uh funny story apparently um <laughs> the contingency plan for the ensemble if the the lift didn't work in Wicked, so in, in professional productions uh, of, of Wicked, there's a lift that, that lifts Elphaba up and lighting and smoke and stuff kind of hide the fact and it makes it look like she's actually flying because she does. She's not flying? What? No, 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 she is. She oh, is. thank you, thank you. But just in case the, the incidental lift doesn't work, uh, apparently the ensemble have been instructed that they have to like slowly go to their <laughs> knees and like <laughs> lower themselves back to make Elphaba look bigger. <laughs> It's it's essentially just like as you're singing, just get as close to the ground as possible. And <laughs> look at her, she's wicked. Get her. Uh, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I like that tidbit. 
I want to talk about Nessa Rose as a character. Yes. Um, because for all of the really great representation of women in Wicked, something that I have a bit of a gripe with is the way that Nessa Rose as like one of the only disabled characters that comes to mind in musical theatre, mm-hmm. um, the way that she's represented, I, I don't think that it's a positive representation of disability, and I, I have a little bit of a gripe with that. Yeah, th- throughout the, the musical, like, like the only reason Elphaba gets to go to Shiz University in the first place is to look after Nessa because her father feels that Nessa isn't able to take care of herself. Mm. And there's so much um, posited on the fact that it's like, oh, look at her, she's in a wheelchair, we should take pity on her. Yeah, there's so much there's so much pity dialogue. Like, oh dear, you'll come you'll come sleep in my suite so that I can take care of you. That's Madame Morrible. But by the way, that was my impersonation <laughs> of Madame Morrible. Um and yeah, there's the whole like, oh um there's the Bok complex as well. Like the mm. oh I have to um be nice to Nessa because she's disabled so I won't actually tell her how I, I feel. I'll I'll just pander to her, which mm. uh, that doesn't go well for him. It doesn't. No, he loses um, his heart. And also time. it doesn't go well for her. That does not make her happy. No. And and, and that's also the, the kind of um, the thing that Elphaba does to help Nessa Rose is to grant her the ability to walk, mm. which uh, on one level means that one of the very few disabled characters in musical theatre needs to be portrayed by an able-bodied actor yeah. in order to to convey that moment where she she walks for the first time. But that is also kind of like the I can use my magic to make you uh, to make you walk and that'll fix your problems. There's, yeah. a, there's a bit of, there's a lot of that in it and it, it, it yeah, yeah it doesn't it, come off. It well. really plays into the, the medical model of disability where um, uh, it's it's very much a regressive uh, view of disability that it's like, oh, we need to we need to fix what's wrong with you um, and your body so that you're able to exist in this world. Whereas the um, the current train of thought is that no, we need to look at the social model of disability, which is like, um, how do we make this world more accessible so that you're able to live mm-hmm. um, with your disability? Um, and so. The idea of being like, "Oh, we'll fix you, <laughs> so that you can walk," is um, is very much that regressive medical perspective. Yeah, and yeah. and her um, her kind of wants she she very much like wants uh, the, the love of Bok, and she she's kind of constantly after the affirmation of others. Mm. Um, throughout the whole thing. I mean, because she becomes, uh, she, she starts ruling Munchkinland. Uh, I think, I think her father, their father. Dies of shame. Really? Yeah, it's in the, it's the, it's like, oh yes, father died of shame because Elphaba becomes the Wicked Witch of okay. the West. Yeah. Right. Um, and so she kind of inherits, inherits, inherits? Inherits. Inherits. I had it right the first time and then, did. and then went back on it. Um, she inherits the the title of ruler of Munchkinland and like seems to be doing like like she seems to be very capable at things. Mm. 
anyway. She was also capable enough to get into Shiz University. Yeah. Yet all the characters feel like they need to dote on her because she's a poor little girl in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's there's a lot of like um, the thing that comes to mind is like, see that tragically beautiful girl, the, the one, one in, in the, the chair. chair. Like, oh, it's such a shame. She's so beautiful. Oh, but except she, for that chair. That oh, damn chair. Nerds. Like, people can be beautiful and disabled. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a bit of a gripe with that. Yeah. I, I'm i not particularly familiar with the source material. Like, when I was in high school, I tried to read the book Wicked, mm. and I could not get through it. Um, I really struggled with it. Um, but I, I suppose that that is something that comes from the book, the fact that she is in a wheelchair. Ellis, as somebody who has read the book, can you confirm and or deny that? <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. So uh, her... Uh, Ness's character in the book is actually a step further. She also... she She's not only um, in a wheelchair, but she also doesn't have arms. Huh. Uh, which you, you can kind of imagine why they made that change from the the book to the stage show because it's, it's difficult to kind of portray a, a character without arms. Uh, without adding all these extra elements to it. And I wonder if that kind of dotingness is a holdover from that character, the way the char- character was portrayed in the book. Because you can imagine that there are, there would be extra difficulties living without arms than just if you were in a, a wheelchair. Not mm. to say that you, know, you can't live a fulfilling life yeah. without arms. Uh, yeah, so, so the... Um, the disabilities that Nessa has is different mm. in the books. And I wonder if that's just like a holdover from the the adaptation without taking into account the fact that if you if you take away that element of the character, the way that all the other characters treat her comes off as like, well, why are you doting on her mm. so much? Like, why do you have no faith in her ability to be independent? Yeah. I also... I guess it is kind of a necessary plot point that um, Alphabet does have to have this uh, like strong sense of care over her sister so that the fact that um, Madame Morrible takes her away um, is what is the catalyst for Alphabet like showing her powers. Um, but at the same time, like I think you could um, portray Nessa Rose in a way that um, meant that she wasn't quite as pitied Mm. um and yeah comes across in this very um like like too sympathetic way um and that plot point could still stand if it wasn't that every single character treated her this way Mm. maybe it would be okay but the fact that it's like across the board every single character treats her in the one fashion yeah and it's like come on yeah up your game yeah, let's have like better representation of the disability. Yeah. The disability community, the disabled community we are in our musicals. We, we can't st- talk today, Alice. Cannot talk together. Let's talk about the representation of people in people in color, people of color in I guess the people wicked. portraying Elphaba are, are people in, in color. color. Literally. They yeah. are wearing green paint. Yes. And makeup. Um so Oz is a fantasy world. Tis. Where you have um, 
all these different magical races and also talking animals. Yeah, like... And such. Shit's diverse. Except the... Uh, go Going off the original Broadway cast, mm. uh, I'm pretty sure all of the eight main leads were portrayed by Caucasians. I think you are correct. And that kind of stands... And, and the tradition has kind of been that a lot of the, the main roles are portrayed by Caucasians for whatever reason. Yeah. And the reason that that kind of stands out is that your main character is somebody <laughs> who is vilified for, for the, the color, color of, of their, their skin. skin. Like, that's not to say that racism against people of color is because of the color of their skin. Like, I think that oppression has, you know, roots in things other than literal skin color you know this yeah um that that would be really oversimplifying racism (laughs) um but at the same time it's a factor and uh it would make a lot of sense for somebody who had experienced prejudice because of the color of their skin to play somebody who in this show is very much prejudiced for the color of their skin and yet that doesn't happen very frequently very very few People have uh, people of color, women of color, have been cast. As far as we can tell, we, we've we've done some some research into this, but we haven't kind of scoured every single production yeah. of every single thing. And, and it's also like there's literally no excuse because regardless of who is portraying the role of Elphaba, they're getting covered in green paint. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so you can't claim it has to be this very specific way for aesthetic reasons mm. or anything like that it's like there's literally no excuse by design of the show yeah and even if there was an excuse the excuse wouldn't be good enough no because just cast more people of color please please um recently uh the first black glinda uh existed um, <laughs> <laughs> made their stage debut <laughs> better way of putting it um so Brittany Johnson is I say currently Broadway's sort of not happening currently um thanks COVID um but before um Broadway kind of closed its theaters she was the Glinda standby on Broadway um and if, if you are unfamiliar with Brittany Johnson go follow her on Instagram because she is the like the the cutest Glinda I've ever seen like <laughs> She's adorable. Um, And that's super cool. And I think almost ties in a little bit to what we were talking about in Mean Girls, the fact that um, a a woman of colour playing a character who is kind of, like, quite popular and looked up to Mm. and somebody that people aspire to and, like, you know, Tico Linda, you are just too good. Yeah. Um, People can't stop saying positive things about Glinda in the show. Um, And, uh, again, that is you don't often see... Uh, in 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 mainstream media, people of color portrayed in that way, so it's it's cool to um, to see that, uh, even if it's just the standby on Broadway. Like I, th- I think that she was the first woman of color, or at least black woman, to play Glinda. And and uh, there have been replacements for a number of roles uh, who appear to be people of color uh, throughout. But I think I think. It, you know, when you think of a show, you usually think of the the first 
casting yeah. is kind of sets the benchmark. And I think a lot of these shows are way too Caucasian mm. and um, set kind of sets a precedent yeah. A, yeah. as to how the show should look going yeah. forward. It's kind of like how we were talking about in Rent, the fact that like there's not much basis in the text for the races of the characters, but like usually Joanne, Collins, Benny are more often than not played by people of colour, and I think that's um, usually because you look to the original cast mm-hmm. and that just seems to be a bit of a casting trend. And so I guess it happens... Well, yeah, it happens the other way around as well, that you're like, oh, well, Idina Menzel's white. Better cast another white person. Mm. Shout out to all the POC alphabets out there. Yeah. Um. Legends. <laughs> so, but I also think because Oz is a fantasy world, there is no need for us to adhere to real world no. standards in any way. Their teacher is a fucking goat. Yeah. <laughs> so... Actually, speaking of that, can we just say congratulations? We have finally found a text in which the teachers aren't more interesting than the students. Yeah, I mean, like, Dr. Dillamond is an important plot device. Yeah. But I, I would agree that I think the other characters are far more, far more interesting. interesting. Yeah. Madame Morrible is really a really cool an insidious villain. She kind of comes into the whole propagandist yeah. aspect of the story. She um, is responsible for kind of fueling the rumors about Elphaba and and her wickedness and propping up Glinda as this beacon of goodness. Yeah. And She's also the thing that kills... Uh, Nessa Rose to bring Elphaba out of hiding because she's the one that's like, oh, we need a change in the weather. And then she and the wizard laugh evilly and then there's this cyclone that drops a house on Nessa Rose and then Elphaba comes and they try to capture her. Um, Just in case anyone else wanted to hear more of my recap of the (laughs) plotline, you're welcome. Um, But she, yeah, she's she's a great villainous uh, perspective. Yeah. Her and, and the got, wizard make she, a really good team. She's got layers yeah. as well. Um, and I think she's another like very multi-dimensional female character, mm-hmm. which is cool. Incidentally, um, uh, the, the way that they utilize Madame Morrible in the book didn't make it to the stage in the same way. I won't spoil it, but if you're interested in it, go read it because it's one of the best scenes. It's really, really heartbreaking, tragic moment for Elphaba, the the, the resolution of the Madame Morrible storyline. So please go check that out. Funky. Yeah. Does Wicked pass the Bechdel test? I feel like with two characters such as Glinda and Elphaba, like it's 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 a given. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. They spend so much time talking about all sorts of things. Their future, their relationships to other people their relationships to each other like there's so much talking just between those two and there's also conversations with madame morrible there's conversations with nessa rose like all over the shop just women talking to each other about things that aren't men it's so good the the things that come to mind are uh in the i can't remember if it's the dialogue within popular or after popular um that Elphaba talks about how she feels responsible for her mother's death and um, 
that is a conversation with Glenda, which is, you know, has a lot of mm. substance to it that isn't about a man. Um, the whole, oh, to some degree, the conversation between Madame Morrible and Elphaba about the fact that she's gifted, but then I guess it's like, oh, you're gifted enough that you're going to meet the wizard who is a man, so I guess that's a little bit on the fence. But it's not talking about a man in a romantic sense. The mm. wizard is more of an idea. Yeah. Uh, the wizard is a state of mind. <laughs> Aren't we all the wizard deep down inside? Find the wizard within you. Oh, we should be motivational speakers, Ellis. And you can buy our book, The Wizard Within You, on, on stores. Nah. And I'd also say that the first half of the quote-unquote catfight scene mm. is sort of about their, um, Glinda and Elphaba's like, split allegiances, like, pretty much all of Defying Gravity, like, all of the dialogue within that is like, oh, I'm going to ride off on this broom. Are you coming with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you help me escape? Like, that's... Yeah, it's, yeah. there's there's so much of it. Like like we said, the, the, the plot with Fierro and the love triangle is, is like... Plot B. Yeah, plot B. It's not the main drive. And, and even in scenes where it's important, it's coupled with something else. Mm-hmm. And... You could take the love story out of Wicked and it would still be a show with a lot of substance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love it. It brings us as long as you're mine. Great, great song. Absolute tune. Like, the the only Wicked-related couple that I ship more than Elphaba and Fierro, because I love them together, is Elphaba and Glinda. Because, <laughs> because they deserve to be together and and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a side note, queer representation in Wicked, not strong. It's not textual or overt. <laughs> uh, but I, um, whether or not I'm bringing things that come from the book, because there's a bit more of a of an idea that that certainly Glinda was in love with Elphaba from the the book's perspective, or if I just can't, I like I can't see this show and not see a love story between the two of them as well. It, obviously, there is such a huge focus on their friendship and their, how important their friendship is to each other, and I think that's wonderful, but I also see two people trying to figure out their, their feelings for each other in that way. But none of that's text. Mm. Like, it's not, it's not overt. It, it's a lot of stuff that I'm bringing to the table, <laughs> and um, that's probably an issue. <laughs> I guess... Um... We, we preface this with pretty much every episode, but, like, you and I cannot speak from a queer perspective, nope. from the perspective of a person of colour, from the perspective of a person with a disability. Mm-hmm. So if you um, do belong to one of those groups and you have uh, thoughts about um, the representation of any minority uh, in this story, like, we'd love to hear from you and hear your perspective. Please let us know. If you think that Wicked isn't a good example of female friendship or female written mm. characters, please let us know. Yes. I I would like to uh, to get into that discussion. Yeah. want want to hear your, your points that you've made. Ellis, are we going to rate or ruin Wicked? Right. We're rating it. We're rating <laughs> Wicked. 
I was trying to build some suspense. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I can't help it. Like, like, was, like we said at the beginning, Wicked's been really foundational for both of us, just in our, in our love of musical theatre. Yep. Uh, but it's and I also, think for a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people get into musical theatre because of Wicked. It's a gateway show. And on top of that, it's such a good show because it's such a great representation of women with some really well-written female characters. Yeah. And, like, a cracking score. Oh. It's like a hell of a sing for anybody who's lucky enough to to uh, play those roles. I just want to give a quick shout-out to Caitlin Nile, who um, was cast. She's studying. She's a third-year student at Griffith Conservatorium uh, in Queensland, and they were going to do Wicked, and she was going to be the perfect Glinda, and they had to cancel it because of COVID. So I'm really sorry that that didn't happen, Caitlin. It will happen one day because you're born to play that role. You rock, Caitlin. Yeah. You're going to be popular. popular. Oh, wow. It was me making the bad pun based <laughs> on a song title for once, Ellis. Oh, you're learning. Oh, no. I don't like this influence that you have on me. <laughs> Friends, thank you for listening to our episode of Feminism Ruins Everything, a feminist podcast uh, on Wicked. If you have enjoyed the show or if you're enjoying other episodes, uh, it'd be really cool if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts. That would be mm-hmm. fun. Uh, We've had some really lovely reviews left yeah, on there by thank people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, we, we'd love we'd love more, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've I've tasted it. <laughs> and I, I want feed. more. <laughs> no, because uh, I, I think the, the way that that works is the more ratings and the more interactions that people have with with our podcast, the the more Apple kind of suggests it to other people, and we'd mm. really appreciate it if you could. You know, uh, sp- spread spread our podcast around and That'd get people cool. listening to it and engaging in conversation with us because that's what it's really about yeah we also have a patreon now yes we do so if you uh would like to financially support the show uh, it's very easy to do so on patreon it's a a monthly payment anywhere from one dollar a month to twenty dollars a month and you'll have access to like um behind the scenes stuff and bloopers god knows ellis and i said some embarrassing stuff today on this episode (laughs) that is absolutely going to be cut um so if you'd like to hear that uh, become become a Patreon. Um, go to patreon.com forward slash feminism ruins everything pod. And if you follow us on our various social media sites, you can find the link there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that note, like who can say if we've been changed for the better? But because we've talked about Wicked. Because we've talked about Wicked. We have been changed do, 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 do. for good. That was a really corny ending to the show. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. See you next week. Take care, everyone. Wicked. Feminism ruins everything. It's a feminist podcast. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.